Every life has a story, and every story is worth sharing. Your story, my story, and our story speak of victory and defeat, joy and sorrow, resilience and vulnerability. They are not just our story. They are Christ's story in us. They are Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Welcome to Kingdom Stories from Down Under. Tonight I am with Phil East. Phil East, we have traveled the world together. We've done so many wonderful things. We've been in the jungles of Sulawesi together. We've also been on the mountains of uh, the Himalayas in Nepal. We've also been on the beach and through nice walks. We've also shared the gospel and worship together. And uh, it's, uh, his life is full of adventure. And there's so much packed into this amazing life. And I can't wait to share this with you. Phil, welcome to the show. Always good to be with you, wherever we are. <laughs> Man, we've done a lot together. We've done a few things, haven't we? Yeah. I think I've known you for about eight or ten years. Yeah, about that, yeah. Through the Southern Cross initially. We were both pastors in the Southern Cross. And uh, initially we probably only met at advances and the occasional, mm. um, you know, Southern Cross advance. Mm. But then more so at Churchlands where we journeyed a lot more. Yeah. And then uh, we got even closer. We started walking together and doing bushwalks. Yeah, that's right. We know things about each other that other people don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see how much we do reveal tonight or don't reveal tonight. All right. Um, let's, let's rewind. You know, we've got to take you from the beginning. Sure. You were born in Canberra? No, no, I was actually born in rural Western Australia. Oh, you were born here mm. and then you went to Canberra. Correct. Okay, okay. Where about... A small country town, about two hours from Perth. East or south? <laughs> I don't know, Gamaling, two hours from here. Okay. To a young farming couple. Yeah, they'd just been married and they're 19 or 20. And uh, yeah, so the first born in a very small, isolated part of Western Australia. What were they farming? Oh, they were just farm labourers, wheat okay. and sheep farm. Wheat yeah. and sheep, yeah. yeah. And uh, how long were you there? Oh, very few memories as farms in Australia, like America, became really large in the late 60s. They sort of left the land and came to Perth. Okay. And um, How old were you when you moved to Perth? Oh, five or six, yeah. Do you remember much of the... No, not at all. No, very little. And, but, you know, fascinatingly... Is there photos? You got photos? Maybe, but fascinatingly, my mum, and she's the only one in her whole family, actually got saved as a teenager in a country town when they were listening to Billy Graham crusades on the radio. Whoa. So it's fascinating that she got saved as a teenager. My dad got saved and they're the only ones still today in their whole families that are Christian. And interestingly, both their children are Christian and four of their five grandchildren are in church living for God. So yeah, I just happen to be privileged to so you be grew up born in into an so born they were already a, already Christians. Born into an imperfect but nevertheless family that introduced evangelical Christianity that has become a part of my life in a real way for you know wow. thirty years now. It's interesting because we don't think that the Billy Graham Crusades would have had such an impact even through the radio. Naturally, yeah, yeah. in the stadium, you know, we know yeah. of the transformations he brought to the city, uh, but. Even through the radio in a small town? In the early 1960s. That's yeah. powerful. Yeah, communities getting together, families getting together. 
to listen to that. So I don't know a lot about it, but yeah. I do know that my parents are in large families like you are, that you out of eight to 10. Yeah. And the only one in either side happened to be my parents. So imperfect Christianity, but certainly gave me a foundation for what became personal to my life in and the teenage you, years. So then you moved to Perth and that's yeah. when you begin to remember more and more. Yeah, but not a whole lot, you know. Just what did simple, you love doing as a kid? No, I just like most Australian children playing sport and not focusing too much on their studies. But we focus, what was your favourite sport? Oh, the main two here. You don't really have much choice growing up, especially Cricket, in the seventies in Perth and Sydney. None of them. My children, <laughs> my children were a lot better than me because I married someone that was smarter than me and had better sporting genes than me. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, what do, what do you remember of childhood? Um, uh, wasn't negative, wasn't positive, just went about life, I guess. I was the firstborn, so just... And then you had a little brother? Sister. Sister. Yeah, but not close, you know, just How sort many of years apart? Couple of years. That's close. And, but, you know, not really close to what we did in life. Yeah. And then I got really saved as a teenager and then... Did you have a rebellious period? Did you have a, a questioning period? Oh... Not really, you know, always knew that what my parents had was better than what was in general society. So you were going to church on a regular basis? Not regular, but my parents were, you know, they were churchgoers. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of the greatest legacies they passed on to me, they never had a negative view of church. Yeah. So interesting, this is one thing I do remember from my teenage years. Many of their friends dropped out of church mm -hmm. for, for legitimate reasons. Yeah. But my parents irregularly kept going, kept a good attitude. Yes. And fascinatingly, of all their friends, maybe I'm one of the few that's still in church because they stayed in church. Yeah. So in my books and in my teaching, one thing I say is really important, especially as fathers who, do, who are to lead their homes, is to yeah. be in church in good times and bad times. Wonderful. So that's a legacy, I think, that they've left. They've left especially a legacy fathers. of... You're pointing something very, very... Yeah. Where, where it hurts here in Australia, the fathers are missing from the church. Sure. And from the lives of so many young children. And the families that I see that are strong, there's either been a strong father or a grandfather. Sure. And... Um, so, so your dad was a man of faith who was always... Yeah, certainly. And by his own admission was never a great theologian, but was in church. And, you know, they've left a legacy of church attendance faith and fidelity in what was at times a difficult marriage mm. and still there this stood again and your today. sister she's had her ups and downs yeah you know she's um gone through more of a her ups and downs in life and relationships than i have yeah whereas i've been fairly never caused my mom and dad any great pain or anguish neither of my kids <laughs> so you're a teenager how did you receive the lord i was at teachers college actually and Really? So, so this was after high school, you went yeah, to become a yeah. teacher? Yeah, I went to teacher's college and thought that the humanistic way of life wasn't that good. And I actually was that at church then? Um, no, I went to Mount Lawley. Mount Lawley, Mount Lawley all right. And, uh, you know we live where the teacher's college yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, I do know that. Yeah, nice piece of land there. They're smart, <laughs> that university, selling off the good land. Yeah. yeah, and so I was just doing a holiday job and met this really radical Christian. And what attracted me about his Christianity, it was more radical, it wasn't passive, and he invited me to his church where they had an American evangelist preach, and I was attracted by the masculinity, actually. Okay. 
which so was quite different to the Christianity. You Oswald met this guy at uh, at, at uni, workplace or at, at work. Yeah, I was working in the holidays to make some money. What were you doing? What was I doing? Labouring work on a on a dam site. And this guy was a Christian. Very and fanatical. Was preaching to everyone. Was like a John the Baptist. And he took you to church, or he well, no, he invited me and a friend that I went to university with. We thought we'd go and check it out. Which church was this? It was a Foursquare church, a church plant from the American Foursquare yeah, in Mount yeah. Wally. Okay. And uh, it so was radical. And lots of young people. Quite Pentecostal, isn't it? Radical. Radical Pentecostal. Radical Pentecostal, speaking in tongues. But what impressed me, this old Presbyterian building was full. Yeah. With 100, 150 mainly young people. That was enough to get me back. Okay. And so that really... So where triggered. were you going beforehand? Oh, nowhere. Nowhere. So at that period, it was... No, nominal. Where were your parents going? They, if they were going anywhere, it would have been a Baptist or a Church of Christ, probably. Okay. We're looking a long time ago, you know, we're looking yeah, yeah. 30, nearly 40 years ago. That's fine. Yeah, so it was So you went to this meeting, and when did it click for you? When did I you went back a it? few times. It really triggered, I guess, what was in my heart, yep. you know, the desire for the things of God. And because it was American, some of the things that Americans do as a 58 year old probably aren't that positive. Whereas when I was an 18 year old, it was kind of. Cool. You know, very, very positive. Yeah. yeah. So it was, and it was revival. And what was fascinating, some of the people I knew from Teachers College had got saved, were going there. So I already had, even though I didn't have friends that were going there, I had some quick connections. Yeah, and was powerfully born again soon after that, filled with the Holy Spirit within How, a year. Do you remember the night or the day when you... Yeah, I do. Turned? Yeah, it was late. It was sometime in December 1981, so a long time ago. And soon after that, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what, within a year, what was happening to, in that night? Was it an altar call? Was it yeah, a standard altar call that many people went down and responded yeah. to. Because mm-hmm. people, so many people were getting saved yeah. here in the early 80s and the same on the East Coast. That's where the Christian cities and the CLCs came out of here in Perth, Rima, in the City of Faith, uh, New Day. There was something happening the late 70s. And did you get baptized 80s. soon after that? I actually got baptized in the Spirit. First. Yeah, I actually got baptized. I actually had a conversion experience as a teenager somewhere else okay. and got baptized in water then. Yes. And then I just got baptized in the Spirit in this Pentecostal church. How, how did that happen? Was it a special meeting or just in an assembly? Uh, I was seeking it, got prayed for in a special meeting and then went home and read the Don Basham book about being filled with the Spirit and it happened. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Uh, how and did... then a call to preach the gospel. So within one year... My whole life was turned around. Were you married or not yet married? Oh, I was 18, so a okay. long way off being married. And how did your parents react to all this? Oh, they were happy. Happy I was going to church rather than the nightclubs <laughs> and the hotels. So, and no, was we, your sister part of this journey in no, any shape no, or form? not at all. No, no, she was ignorant at the time. Doing her own thing, yeah. Okay. okay. So what was your first job after teacher's college? Well... I actually never finished Teachers College because I got saved, filled with the Spirit of God. Was that a three-year course or two years? Three years back then. And then I thought, well, I'll join the public service. (laughs) Oh, okay. Not as a graduate, but... No, just joined, which was great because, as you know from your experience, public service is a wonderful place. You get reasonable pay, not a huge amount, but reasonable pay. You turn up to work... Do your part. Do your part. Then you've got lots of free time to go and do other things with yeah. your life. So for me, it was running Bible studies, outreaches, um, studying. Basically at prepare. 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock when you left the office, you yeah. didn't have to think about Correct. anything else. Anyways. And you had enough money, not Just, to get rich, but enough to do what you needed to do. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you were preaching, you were teaching, what were you doing? Yeah, more sort of studying, running home groups. Okay. And then after five years, basically an apprenticeship style church, went out to start a church with my wife of one year. Okay, so when did you meet Jan? Oh, she was in the church, got saved about the same time as me. Okay, and, same uh, church? Yeah, same church. So she was part of the youth, part of the landscape? Well, there was no youth because it was a church full of young people. So It was yeah. a youth church. <laughs> yeah, if you're a 30-year-old. And even the pastor wasn't even 30. So. so when did you notice her? How did you notice her? Well, look, I think, you know, come sort of early 20s, you know, I sort of thought, oh, it's a good time to start looking around. And she was from a higher economic status than mine and a very devout woman and had lots of qualities that were attractive to me. So she was interested in me. So after a bit she of persistence... She was interested in you. After a bit of persistence. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so we kind of got married in 1986 and... Then a year later, went off to start a church in Canberra. So she had the passion of ministry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Was that a value for you uh, in looking for for the right person? With sure. Look, for, me, for me, the two uh, indispensables or non-negotiables were willingness to have children yep. and willingness to go and start a church somewhere. Okay. And did if, you, if they weren't there, did you tell looked her at, that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, to me, they're important questions. Of course. How did you get that clarity? Well, I think if you know what you're called to do, it's a lot easier. And I know so Reinhard Bonnke, the great preacher in Africa, said when he was dating women, if they had no interest in going to Africa, the relationship was over. So I think it's better to be upfront from the start. And I want so to have children. Had, you had that clarity. You knew what the absolutely. call of God on your life absolutely. was from that early age. Absolutely. That's a powerful conviction. Well, I think if you know, then you focus your whole life. And that's one reason I chose the job I chose. So where did you plant your first church? I went to Canberra to start a church and, you know, a very challenging place. You moved from here to Canberra? Yeah, I was sponsored. I was great. You know, the church I was in was far from perfect. But back in 1986, you know, they invested 50 or $60,000 in an untried person. A big risk. (laughs) A big risk. And I paid them back, you know. Not that I had to, but I did. Yeah. And so it was pretty tough, you know, but if you so want you to do that... you moved with Jan to... Yeah. To Canberra. Yeah, and they sponsored the whole thing, which yeah. is great. And got a job at public find, service. How did they find out about you? Who's that? Sorry. Uh, the people in Canberra. I just went there and started a church. Okay. Put up a sign, door knocked, handed right. out flyers. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So Hard, brand new church plant. Hardcore. And you were working in the public service yeah. at the same time. Yeah. So you didn't yeah. have to depend on the income of the church in that early Correct. stage. Correct. They gave me a month's salary just to get settled in. Wonderful. And look, because I was in my mid-20s, lots of energy, yeah. lots of time. And Jan was working as well? Uh, just briefly because she was already pregnant. So okay. Amanda, our firstborn, was born within a few weeks of the church opening. So Amanda was born in Canberra? Raised in church, within church in the first week of her birth. Wow. So she's a Canberra. Yeah. That's why she's so smart, because she was born in the Canberra. And she's just come back from Canberra, loves Canberra. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. She probably prefers the cooler weather to the warm. Yeah, and a different, different style of people, I guess, yeah. and different climate, yeah. Was and, it tough planting the church? Or you oh, incredibly tough. And, you know, I often thought you wouldn't want to do this if you're over 30. Yeah. You know, it was the just... The hours, the energy, the... Absolutely. Working a full-time job, getting home, having a baby at home doing a midweek Bible study, one or two services a week. Yeah. But, you know, we worked hard and within three years, we had, you know, a core of 30 people. Yeah. And mainly converts. Yeah. 
So I was able to cut down to three days a week and then two days a week, which was probably when I was my most effective. Yes. Where I still had two days in the workforce. Yeah. Which took financial pressure off the church and off me. Yeah. And kept me kept me grounded. Wonderful. Yeah. So, so I did that for twelve years. And then the boys came along. Yeah. Well, they were all in church, so we had three. So all everyone born in Canberra. Everyone born in Canberra, raised in Canberra, didn't come until their teenage years. And you carried on working for the federal government or state? Was it? I worked for the federal there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a number of different departments. Okay. And then was there was full-time. always work there, wasn't there? Always work, and was full time pastoring for a while. But I was actually less effective when I was full time pastoring than I was working a couple of days in the government. I think you're relaxed then, because you've got time, and you probably whereas when you only have this amount of time, you just have to focus and get things done. But then your focus changes because it spreads. Yeah, and I think you work smarter, whereas yeah. if you, all you do is church work, unless you're a large church like yeah. Kingdom City with hundreds, yeah. if you're a you know, church under 100, 150, you, you can, can manage. You can do it. And I saw, I've seen it all over Asia. Most effective it. guys, yeah, they, We've always done they, they work jobs and yeah. less financial pressure. Oh, easy. And I think you're more grounded. That's and, how I was. And you're forced to use other people. I mean, not use other people, but make use of other people in the sense they have to pull their their weight. And I think the tenure, they realize if you're working two or three days a week and still, for me, I was preaching two fresh sermons a week. Sure. And because we do Friday night church, outreach yeah. church. So I'd have a motivational message, 30 minutes, 30 minutes Sunday and a midweek Bible study. Yeah. They saw I was doing that plus had three kids at home so they can do something. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. So what were the challenges of Canberra? Well, it's not, it's probably the most difficult city in Australia to start a church. New, new age or just comfort? Just comfort. Not too much money to realize money's not the answer. Yeah. Most of the people we reached were not public servants. Ah, yeah. Students, people in private enterprise. And I guess, you know, a lot of those, and Canberra has lots of great churches. Yes. And when I first arrived, I went to all the great churches and said, I'm not coming to compete for your people. Yeah. We really focused on street ministry, Mm. unchurched people. Yeah. And so we were very happy. And once I got a kingdom revelation, I said to the people, if there's a better church to go to in the city, go there, go go there with my blessing. Yeah. Because I understood that I wasn't theologically trained at that stage. Yes that I could only take people so far. And that's one reason I handed over the church. I realized I could only take the church so far. It was like a cap. Yeah. And I needed to go and do something else, including getting it educated. Matured. It matured. It was flowing. And you had good leadership behind. You left disciples behind. Hey, absolutely. And I ultimately, a couple of them took over the church. Fantastic. You know, after a period of time. I don't know. If, I really don't know where it's at today, but I do understand a couple yeah. that got directly saved through my ministry, yeah. pastored there and other places. But for me, it was a great foundation and all the work I was able to do in Indonesia wouldn't have been possible if I hadn't had that, had that 12 years pastoring. Yeah. I could relate to pastors, yeah. but knew that it's not always something that someone wants to do for their whole ministry. The process teaches you so much and especially in the pain and the life, agony, three children, wife, kids, family, uh, works, you know, everything. financial pressures. Yeah. yeah. Challenges. Yeah. And then what did you do? You moved back here? No, well, we handed over the church and went into the wilderness for the want of a better phrase, got a full-time job. Yeah, and in Canberra. In Canberra, and Jan went, to, went out to work as a teacher. She'd trained but never taught. And what was fascinating about... Were you still going to the same church? 
No, we transition. I really believe if you hand over a church, you need to go somewhere else. Okay. And just let them do. So correct. No pressure. Correct. And good for me. And went to a charismatic church for a year and a half and felt a real call to kingdom ministry there. Yes. Very spiritual. And then my ministry to Indonesia was birthed in a AOG, a CLC church. That was in 2005? So 1999 handed over the church last century. Yeah. And then the ministry to Indonesia started in 2002. Awesome. Then in uh, late so 2005, we moved to Perth to be closer to Indonesia. Well before the tsunami. The tsunami was in all four, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think it was yeah. in December 2004. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Did you do Boxing any skiing? Day. Did you do any skiing while you were in Canberra? Well, because we lived very simply and I wasn't a highly paid public servant, I've been to the ski fields but didn't do any skiing. My kids were all very good at um, cricket and football. They all represented the ACT in, in all those sports. Yeah. And so that consumed most of our weekends. Okay, so you had to go. So on. Saturdays we were at sporting field, Sunday in church. So <laughs> when people say they haven't got time for things, well, I say I work full time. Kids never missed sport on Saturday, never missed church on Sunday. And yeah. then when we came to Perth, I took up study and never dropped those things. So yeah, you can do it. Wonderful. Balanced. So life. what brought you back to Perth? What brought me to Perth, really more than back, was I was ministering in Indonesia from Canberra, but it was a $1,200 trip. Okay. Each so you way. to be closer to where your heart yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. And it sort of worked So what out. attracted you to Indonesia the first time? How did you make that Yeah, well, look, I had a prophetic calling to the nations and... That happened in 1999 from Isaiah, prophetic calling from there. And then 2002, when I started to get clarity about what I needed to do, the pastor at the church I was going to invited me to Russia and someone else in the church invited me to Indonesia. I only went to Indonesia because it was cheaper. Met some key people that said, you can help our nation. So it was really prophetic. Imagine if you had gone to Russia. (laughs) What, What doors would have opened there? But look, Indonesia quickly became very affordable. Where did you go first time? Just the big cities, Jakarta. Jakarta. Yeah. And churches or schools or universities? Yeah, school, um, drug rehabilitation centers and churches. But on that first trip, met key people that subsequently organized ministry in 2003, 2004. The doors were significantly open, preaching to churches of 10,000 people. And I thought, look, this is on the move, but I need to move to Perth. Like John Maxwell said, you've got to give up to go up. Yes. And so... First, we gave up the church, which yeah. opened the kingdom ministry, yeah. left the comfort zone of Canberra. Yeah. Kids were all into it, difficult for Jan, yeah. and came here. And then within months of being in Perth, a whole lot of doors opened. So our ministry went from two to three out of 10 to six out of 10 very quickly. Six out of 10, trips. you know, as far as impact, you know, oh, I impact, rated impact, out of 10. Yeah, yeah. Within six months of arriving in Perth, doors opened that are still so open. both locally and internationally? Mainly internationally, but because I went to Indonesian churches in Perth, they opened doors to Indonesia. Because you ended up going four or five times a year, even six times a year. While working full-time and studying full-time, was able to do it. And doors opened. It was self, basically paid for itself. So you went back to to college, to Bible college first? No, no. I went to do my undergrad where I was working, wanted me to do an undergrad in communications. I hadn't been to university until I was in my mid-40s. Been there ever since, but uh, yeah. oh, wonderful! So you were working for the state government then? Or no, government? no, our federal, federal government. Yeah. Federal government, yeah. and they uh, offered me a scholarship. They offered you a scholarship to go and do your degree yeah. in communication. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. So this uh, 
opened obviously more possibilities for you to write, to preach. It, well, it fascinatingly, in- I wrote my first book before doing the communications degree, <laughs> and it's still my most popular book <laughs> <laughs> because you you haven't been uh, distorted. You know, you had clarity. You had well, clarity. I wrote it while I was working full time, kids <laughs> at home, but it met a need. It was called the power of forgiveness. But yeah, so until... You wrote that in English or in Indonesian? Oh, in English, then translated. All my six books are all in Bas Indonesia. Okay. I write them in English and then yeah. someone wrote them in Indonesian, even though I can proofread in Indonesian. But you don't print them in English, you only print them in Indonesia. Yeah. The because market's huge there. You know, until a... COVID shut down last year, I was busy there and the demands were huge for yeah. books and that sort of thing. And obviously Jan was journeying with you uh, and uh, the kids were growing up. How did they uh, adjust to Perth? Quite easy? Oh, because they were into sport and all that, and they fitted immediately because the boys were very good immediately into cricket and football teams. So sport gives you acceptance in this culture. Yeah, you can and Amanda was a football goal umpire, so she was with the local football league umpiring. Yeah, fitted in really well because a big, healthy She's and sporty. She's a very strong leader, isn't she? She's got so many qualities. Well, firstborn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the girl and the boys... You know, with two boys around and the stroke. Canberra educated. Yeah. No um, imposter syndrome problems with her. <laughs> great, great. How are they journeying in, in their faith? Now or then? Then. Look. As teenagers. I made a big mistake when I came to Perth because I was so focused on building my connections with the Indonesian church. I actually said, you go to a church you want to go to, but they were still young teenagers in the case of the boys. Yes. So I surrendered my headship and I had to be pulled into line over that. Mm. And then I took them to a charismatic church. I, and at this charismatic church, at that stage, a large charismatic church based in Belcatta, yeah. they all had God encounters. Wonderful. So in the midst of the charismania of that large church, there was something of the presence of God. Yeah. So they all had their God encounters. Wonderful. And then they realized they wanted something a bit solider and they all went off somewhere else and they're all in different churches today. So they're all walking with the Lord. All, yeah. One goes to a modern evangelical, another one goes to a traditional Anglican and another one goes to a modern Pentecostal. But they've all, all had their God encounters at this um, charismatic church. The boys are married. My sons are married, yep. Amanda, not yet. Not yet, but on the way. Hopefully this year. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, One of them is a policeman. One's a detective in the Western Australian Police Force. Yeah, the other one's a lawyer now working on St George's Terrace. So they, my my ceiling was certainly their foundation. And Amanda works for the Water Corp. And she's Uh, she's moved on. She people complain about lack of jobs. She gets jobs all the time. Headhunted now works back in a federal government department in a cyber security area. In uh, Canberra or in Perth? Based in Perth, but oh, it's in Canberra. So she's still, yeah. is she still at home or she's got her own place? Oh, they've all got bigger mortgages than I ever had. <laughs> well, they're young enough to pay for them. Oh, easily, yeah. yeah Make really more money than I ever made as yeah. well. Wonderful one. But it does give you a lot of uh, satisfaction to see them in the faith, to see them well with their families, to see them having good jobs, and just to know that you know they're well. Yeah, and look, to me, we laid a foundation of putting our faith as a priority, yes. hanging in there in difficult times, yeah. putting the Lord first in our finances, in yeah. our life, yeah. and we've seen the fruit so far. Wonderful. Yeah. 
How's Jen? Uh, Jen's gone back to to uh, education. She's teaching. Yeah, look, she's a very gifted person, and you know, as you alluded to earlier, she's been involved in pastoral ministry. She's a true pastor. She's yeah. worked for a Christian organization in a number of ro- Christian organizations in numbers of roles, but. She believes in the kingdom and being in the state schools for her, even though it's very, very difficult. Yeah. She sees that for her, that's the place to be, to have influence. And because she's got a full-time husband who does all the cooking and the cleaning and everything else, maybe not to her standards, but (laughs) she gets dropped off at 7.30 in the morning and picked up at five at night. Wonderful. She can focus on that, but it's very difficult. And that's why for her... She says, Phil, when I go to church on Sunday, I need a reamer from God, not just a Bible study. Yeah. And so that's, she's really at a stage. She's not in cruise mode. She's 60, but she's not in cruise mode. Well, you made sure of that. I mean, you guys have climbed uh, the Himalayas a couple of times. You well, did- Jan's done five treks to the Himalayas. And a four now. I've done six. Okay. And she's, yeah, not too many middle-aged Australian women have um, been to 5,416 metres, which is further than you've been. So, yeah, she's willing to take on challenges, how, reluctantly. How far did we get? 5-2? Yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah. About that. A nice look. Yeah. Tough, was, but 5-4 is tougher, I can tell you. A couple of hundred metres more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's, look, she's, she, she's courageous. She's determined. She questions herself at times, but if she hangs in there a bit like trekking, she can get through. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, the resilience. Yeah. And just putting up with you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, some, well, of those, I... some of those trips are like two weeks, three weeks. So you got to, yeah. you know, it can it can rub in. You know? She loved Canberra. Yeah. But she finds, she's found trekking in Indonesia, uh, trekking in the Himalayas difficult, living in Indonesia difficult. Yeah. And teaching in the state schools difficult, but she knows that she's having incredible influence and favor. Yeah to do that. She's very grounded, I think. Yeah. Um, and has a good support network. Now, I have been to Sulawesi. I've seen your project. Yeah, uh, firsthand. In Kapi uh, And uh, we took a team there. Amazing, amazing work uh, in restoration, uh, restoration of the land there and helping people. You saw the proof of it. Yeah, helping people farm the local land with, with uh, the most organic way possible. Correct. How did that come about? Yeah, well, look, I'm theologically trained for ministry involved around the local church. But the community at Karpakanaan, where Dr. Jeff Hammond established the village for them, they're relocated, as you know, Christian people that were forcibly Islamized and relocated to the Christian island of North Sulawesi or the Christian province. So Dr. Jeff Hammond, amazing man of God, amazing humanitarian, rescued them from the jihadists, set up the village for them, They had a quarter of acre of land, very devout in their faith, and we went there to serve the community in 2015. Yeah. Jan was teaching English, and I soon realized they don't need my theological skills. No, they need something else. They're like someone that's strong in their right arm, but limp in their left arm, that they're spiritually were really strong. A lot of the emotional scars of the forced Islamization hadn't been dealt with. Yeah. And they were incredibly underweight and unhealthy and constantly going off to the hospitals and the doctors and the chemists which was a journey of up to an hour and i thought it's got to be a better way yeah that's right there's got to be a better way yeah so and then i began to get a revelation i preached it but a revelation you know how it becomes logos to rima of john 10 10 the thieves come to destroy 
Jesus said, I've come to give you life in a more abundantly. abundantly. Yeah. And then the prayer of John, which I preach many times, 3 John verse 2, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health. Yes. Well, here are these very devout Christians. They're not in health. Yeah. I thought, I've got to do something about it. Mm. I really thought I've got to do something. And I had the time. I was there fully embedded and preached on the weekend. So yeah. I have to do something. And investigated a whole lot of different methods of restoring the land from Korea and Japan. They were too complex for me. And one winter's night here in Perth, July winter's night, only four years ago, I was searching the internet for sustainable farming and I developed this thing. I found this thing called permaculture. I thought, this is so simple. It's not complex. Then I researched it. It was founded by two Aussie guys in Tasmania in the late 70s. Yeah. Contacted the guy in Perth. Yeah. Within a few weeks, I'm doing a university course about sustainable, permanent agriculture. And before I know it, I've got the certificate in permaculture and a part of that was a major project. And I thought, well, I've got plenty (laughs) of land up there that's only growing unpalatable grass. So with permaculture mentors, we developed a plan, Mm -hmm. put it into action, and you saw it probably only at the two, two and a half year mark. Yes. And there was already Ground cover, shrubs yeah. and trees. Shrubs. Within two and, and, a, and the swales, which the were swales, a key part yeah. of the design, within two and a half years. So now it's that garden's only at the three and a half, four year so mark. You, you were growing there. What were you growing? Well, basically, what it was all about was restoring the land and then growing things that are appropriate to that land yeah. and various stories. Yeah. Not monoculture, which is one crop. So really, and the more I got into it, the more I really discovered this is the plan of God. Genesis 2.15, tend and care for the garden, work the garden and yeah. care for it. That twofold thing, whereas most people just work the land, they don't tend it. Oh. So it's that twofold, it's in the scriptures. Yeah. So the social progressives have taken what's really ours. Yeah. So I've been reclaiming it and all I do comes from that theological basis of caring for the land and using And you're also teaching the locals to do that. While I was there, one of the school the school principal came to me and says, Phil, because I was trying to do seminars with the adults. Yeah. Started out with seven, (laughs) ended up with ten. And she said, Phil, they're set in their ways, focus on the kids. Yeah. And then I started every twice a week while I was there teaching the kids. So I did 15, 20 lessons before everything was shut down with COVID. And established gardens with the kids, a forest garden with the kids. And because the design was right, yeah. when I was no longer able to go, because the design's right, working with nature, it's continued to prosper. Wonderful. Now, you also did, uh, you had a garden here at Gijigana. Yeah, so when I came home, I realized like, April 2020, I'm not going back. I'm going to be COVID. stuck here for a while. And I thought, well, what I've learned... I can apply I, here. I did it in Australia. I did my studies in Australia. Yeah. Applied the same thing up there, not the same techniques, the same principles, swales on contour, covering the soil with organic matter, planting locally available and locally appropriate vegetables and trees. And prior... What were you planting? What's that? What were you planting? Just a variety of things. Polyculture, a whole lot of stone fruit, a whole lot of citrus, variety. We've got to get free of the monoculture thing. We're monotheistic when it comes to God, but when it comes to (laughs) gardening, we need to be polyculture. And... Yeah, just a whole lot of things. And prior to being destroyed by the fires last month, I'd have a harvest of cabbages, broccoli. You've got to think this is within eight months. Yeah, from nothing. From nothing. 
and I've only recently all organically grown. All organically grown. No, no pesticides, no, no chemicals, no, nothing. Not the plant of God, that is. And so it was only recently that I finished my kimchi and my sauerkraut that was from my harvest. Yep, so I've done it here and learned a whole lot of skills in the last year. And obviously it was quite devastating. Uh, this is five or six weeks ago, the yeah, fire came through, yeah. right through that farm. Oh, six ground. weeks ago today, I think. Yeah. And it just ravaged everything. But people ask me, you know, how do I feel? And I say, well, look, my nephew lost his timber business. That was next door and I was using his land. So he That's lost a bigger he, loss. He, 50 grand worth of uninsurable timber he lost. So yeah. he lost everything. Saved his house, but lost his business. So mm. in light of that, I just lost 400 hours of work and, you know, five or $6,000 worth of stuff. But, yeah. you know, we'll quickly rebuild it. And um, we always were planning to have windbreaks, firebreaks, yeah. And sheep grazing it, nature just beat us by a year. Okay. Because it was all planning. See, what I'm into, and permaculture teaches you, is get the plan right. Yeah. So we had the plan. Yeah. Just nature beat us in that case. We have the same thing up in Sulawesi fire. Mm. That's why fire breaks and having um, wind breaks, all very important. So in my mentoring and constantly in my dealings with Carpacana, are you maintaining the fire breaks? Yeah. Because yeah. that's the problem there and here. Wow. Well, uh, just to see this resilience and the outlook full of hope, it, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, and you've got to have a plan. And yeah. so the plan, if it's implemented, works. Wonderful. Okay, as we wrap this up, uh, this up Phil, yeah. um, what's the legacy you'd like to pass on to the generations that follow? Yeah, look, legacy regarding my children, and they're not there, but really all I can do now is pray for them, be their friend. You know, yeah. we've, we've established that. So the legacy for them is a living active faith that even though the local church is not everything, it's certainly a part of it. And for Indonesia, you know, I've left a legacy of books and preaching and even someone contacted me today actually for some wisdom. But yeah. in the village of Karpakana, and the legacy is you can experience the prayer of John. Mm. You can prosper in all things. Unlike many people in Jakarta, Manado or Perth, you've got land yeah. that you can quickly restore using organic matters. That's organic right. methods, which I think are really biblical, study nature, Romans 1 and 2. So I think the legacy I'm leaving to them and other Christian communities, and that's what my master's thesis is about, is that there are things you can do to restore your land. And just as you're a part of a local church, just as you live out your faith, you deal with issues like bitterness and unforgiveness, you also there's a physical dimension that you can deal with by having, if you've got the land, fruitful organic gardens and doing regular physical exercise. So the, yeah, the legacy is holistic health, I guess holistic, if I had to say yeah. it in two yeah. words, holistic health. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much, Phil, for coming. Um, this living active, our faith is absolutely, absolutely vital. And the, this outlook that uh, Phil has um, in a holistic way to help people is wonderful. And I hope that you are benefiting from this as much as we are here in the studio. Um, do rate us, comment, give us feedback, and distribute this content wherever you're enjoying it. And uh, come again, visit us again, go on the website, read the stories, uh, listen to them, share with other people, and uh, keep the kingdom alive in you. Because these stories are real, they are raw, they're from Australia, and they are kingdom stories, they are Christ stories in us. Thank you for watching, and we will see you again shortly. Thank you for joining us on Kingdom Stories from Down Under. 
We'd love it if you would subscribe, rate and share these stories with your wider community. And remember, every story is worth sharing, including yours.